Hey everyone, you're listening to The Talent Revolution, where we believe that focusing on quality over volume and being different, not better, is the right way to hire the best humans and build stronger teams. To help you do this, I go behind the scenes with forward-thinking recruiters, employer brand experts, and people leaders making a huge difference to their organizations. I'm your host, Tom Hackwell, and in today's episode, I'll be speaking with Phil Strazula, founder of Select Software Reviews. Phil's an entrepreneur through and through. He's incredibly passionate about the world of software, having been an engineer, an investor, and now an entrepreneur in the space for over 10 years. Phil started Select Software Reviews because he believes the HR software market is super crowded and finding and implementing the right tools is harder than it's ever been, and he's completely right with that. Prior to SSR, Phil studied finance and international business at NYU. He joined Venture Partners as a VC and went on to complete his MBA at Harvard Business School before launching his own startups, Nextwave Hire and Select Software Reviews, both in the HR tech space. Phil's an incredibly well-regarded speaker, started investing when he was just 11 years old, is an all-round great guy and spends all of his time these days meeting with, reviewing and writing about the best of the best in the HR tech space. So we're super lucky to have him with us. Phil, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Tom. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. So I've kind of given you a super brief introduction, right? But it'd be good to dig a little bit deeper before we dive into the sort of best practice advice around the HR tech space. And so would love to start with a bit of a background on why you're in HR technology in the first place, right? What got you excited about the sector? Yeah. And thanks for uh, such a generous background on me, like when you highlight the positives. But, you know, I've always been interested in people operations. When I was a kid, I was interested in career pathing and like how does somebody become an XYZ sort of thing? And I guess as I've gotten older, I've just sort of realized that this stuff impacts a lot of the important things that we're seeing in society now with gender pay gaps and diversity and meritocracy, social mobility. It sort of underpins the foundation of our countries and, and all this stuff. And so I, I personally think it's really important. I also think it's super interesting and it plays a huge impact on how people spend the majority of our days at work. And so that's really why I was interested, I think, at, a, at least a subconscious and then a conscious level in people operations. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and totally agree, right? I sadly enough spend more time with my colleagues than I do with my family. And so the importance of getting teams right is massive, both on the personal level and as an organization, I guess, right? So I think one of the things that fascinates me, right, and I guess I'd say we're kind of sort of cut from the same cloth in terms of background, in terms of perspective, but obviously have come at it from very different angles. I think Obviously, we speak to lots of folks in the HR space that sometimes have gone into HR from day one, right? Their entire career trajectory has been about people in the people sector, in the people space. You've come at it from a fairly different background, right? You're very analytical, started out in finance and VC, you've built your own businesses. How do you think that kind of shifts your perspective when looking at HR? Yeah, I always think it's interesting to think about like, what are the things on a subconscious level you were sort of drawn to? And for me, I started investing when I was 11 years old. I taught myself how to program. Like I've always been sort of like a very numbers system oriented person. And mm -hmm. so I think from a lot of people ops folks perspective, like they look at their hiring funnel and what's on their career site. And I think about the conversion rate of visitor to applicant. Mm -hmm. They might think about what goes on in an interview and I'm thinking about the exact way to identify the signal from the noise of who's going to onboard in the first 90 days and ramp up and blah, blah, blah. And so a lot of the sort of like more human aspects of things I think about, but on a more of like a spreadsheet level. And I think that's how I'm a little bit different when I think about people operations. And I think that that mindset translates well to vetting software vendors where there is a lot of noise, especially mm -hmm. in interactions with 
your network who recommends a tool or a salesperson who's trying to explain something and the actual like stuff that matters when you're vetting software. No, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think that angle and that perspective, as we say, is sometimes fairly lacking in teams making these decisions. And so for you to come in and plug that gap is super useful. And I'm sure we're going to get lots of insights like that as we talk through this today. I think would love a bit of background on so let's offer reviews in general, right? Like what's the founding story? What inspired the idea and how have you taken that out to market so far? Sure. So I started this other HR tech business and I'd sort of immersed myself in this world. And one of the things that I just naturally on a subconscious level was drawn to was taking everything that I was learning from talking to people at conferences, one-on-one conversations, and explaining that stuff through this video series that I call Whiteboard Wednesdays. And so every Wednesday, I would just set up my iPhone and I'd be like, hey, like, here's a thing about HR chatbots or whatever the case may be. And so I just naturally love to learn and I love to teach. And then a gap in the market that I saw was that there were so many different tools and it's really, really hard to figure out what's the tool that we need to solve X problem or what is the core HR platform that we need for our type of company. And it's just getting harder and harder and harder as software becomes easier to build. There's more vendors, there's more international companies that you can choose from. And so gap in the market, what I like to do, kind of smash them together. And it became this website, Select Software, where basically all I do is try to figure out what are the best tools in a given category and then explain them sometimes through whiteboard videos, other times through blog posts or webinars or what have you. Sure. I think like... What does HR tech really mean though, right? So I think like lots of people think of HR technology and they think of payroll and they think of their HR information system if they have one, they think of maybe their ATS, right? But like HR tech is so much broader than that. What sort of stuff do you guys cover? Yeah, we have now I think 60 or more categories of HR tech. So there's sort of like your pyramid is like at the bottom, it's like payroll, benefits, record system for employee stuff, time Mm -hmm. off, ATS, et cetera. And then we're starting to get like all these really interesting point solutions. So there's companies that have like gone super deep on employee onboarding or scheduling. There's artificial intelligent applications. There's sourcing technologies. There's sourcing for diversity. There's sourcing for engineers. Like there's all these like teeny tiny things. And then when we start to think about the world more holistically, it's like, all right, there's a really awesome tech stack for a mid-sized construction company in the United States. And there's another totally different tech stack for software company based in Europe. And so there's lots of different permutations of this stuff. And HR tech, people tech, I think is everything from that first touch point, you know, the employer branding, job board distribution, programmatic advertising, all the way through hiring, onboarding, employee experience, really through alumni and managing Mm -hmm. that network as well. So there's lots of different ways that HR technology can impact your business. And we're trying to educate the market on all these different ways and what's right for some companies and what's wrong for other companies. Where should you actually focus your time? Yeah, which is super important, right? Because there's not really, I guess, a one-size-fits-all approach, as you said, right? Mid-sized construction firm in the US has very different needs to European software organizations. And like, helping buyers understand what's right for them is, is I guess, super tricky, but something that you guys do a fascinating job of, right? And building on that, I guess, what sets you apart from other review platforms, right? There's lots of places in theory you can go to learn about software. Why select software reviews? Yeah. So one of the reasons I started this business was I 
still do some investing on the side and I was doing a diligence on a software company and I was trying to use like G2 Crowd and Captera mm -hmm. and all these websites to understand is this a good software and how does it stack up relative to the competitors. And what I found is that all of the reviews were very positive and I thought that was kind of weird. And then I started typing in like the worst software I could think of into Captera and all those reviews were really positive too. And I started yep. realizing sort of like, why that was and how companies collect reviews and how they pay for reviews, et cetera. And I realized there's really no signal here. And so these are like the juggernauts, right? Like they're the ones that are you're supposed to go to when you're making these purchases. And they really have hundreds and hundreds of reviews that would take you days to read that are almost incomprehensible, that have almost no signal. So I thought that's really interesting. Who's doing it right? And for me, the New York Times has this business called the Wire Cutter. That I was about to say the Wire Cutter. Yeah, everything I buy is from there, right? Exactly. They do a phenomenal job of being like, "Here's the best chainsaw." You know, yep, like, yeah, here's the best Hoover for children, right? Like, yeah, exactly, exactly right. Yeah, and you believe them because they actually do the research and they're mm -hmm. like, "Look, like we're actually going to tell you the best ones, even if it hurts us economically, because in the long run, it helps them, right? Because you and I both are now talking about them on a podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I sort of saw them as like a North Star. NerdWallet's another really great example of mm -hmm. trustworthy, in-depth reviews. And I said, what if we could do that for HR tech? And we could sort of just do a much better job than Captera that doesn't know anything about HR technology. They're just aggregating user reviews. And what if we could also put on top of the reviews, like what are the ROI calculations you should do? What are the pricing guidelines you should have? What are the questions you should ask on demos so that somebody who buys software as like 5% of their job can do an A plus job, get the right solution? Because you see all these companies that are buying like you know, their payroll providers, ATS, and it sucks. Yeah. And it just, it really bothers me, honestly. And there's a lot of also fake reviews out there, like PC Mag, mm -hmm. to call out another company. Their ATS listing, it's almost like, what are the worst ATSs that'll pay us the most amount of money yep. to be on this list? Mm -hmm. And so we just saw that stuff. I got a little bit upset, as you can tell, by kind of what was happening. Saw an opportunity and was like, Let's do that. Let's help out this industry because it impacts almost every single business. Like some people think HR is like this tiny little thing. And it's actually like a big part of most businesses in the entire world. And I think that slice of business is getting bigger, right? Like I think if you look at historic trends and in like investment in sales and marketing and finance and developer technology and everything else from a software perspective, HR tech is still in its infancy from my from my place, right? Like we look at MarTech and I remember years ago when people were saying there's 4,000 MarTech vendors and there's too many and there's too much noise and now there's 20,000 MarTech vendors and it's even crazier, right? But there's a place for those things and markets are getting more fragmented. And I think what's great about what you guys do is a lot of these review platforms are sometimes afraid of having a voice and adding some narrative to the discussion, but I think it needs it. Because as you said, there's a lot of noise in these reviews. They're not necessarily impartial. And it's really difficult for a buyer to understand the perspective of the reviewer. Because as you said, everybody has different needs, right? And for somebody like yourself who actually understands the broader market context, I think that voice and that opinion and the tools and the ecosystem you provide is invaluable. And so like, keep doing what you're doing, basically. I think it's great. I think moving on, because I could just be super like wax lyrical about SSR all day, right? And that's not particularly productive. I think one of the many things I'm interested in, and obviously, like, you're even more passionate than I am about this space, but like, I fundamentally completely agree with the notion you have that it's like frustrating when people buy the wrong thing, right? They're missold a product or they're buying things on false pretenses. 
And I really believe that like there is a place for like there's a software product for every organization at every stage and that stack should evolve and change over time. And I think one of the things I hear a lot from HR buyers and people in the space is how do they keep abreast of all of this stuff, right? You talk about 60 categories of HR technology tooling now and a lot of people are familiar with two or three, like where should they be going and how should they be trying to keep up with all of this change? I think it's incredibly difficult and I have run into very few HR practitioners who have kind of figured this out because realistically, most organizations view HR as a cost center. And so from the executive level, they're like, let's give them as few resources as humanly possible. And so most teams are trying to do way too much. And as you know, like most HR people like have a couple of fire drills throughout the day, like an employee relations issue or whatever. They've got to do the basic stuff like payroll benefits. They've got to start thinking more strategically about diversity and employee experience. And of course, during COVID, we've had all sorts of issues. And then technology is like this other thing that it just added to the to-do list. And it becomes like an important, but it's like 5%, 10% of most people's head. And so staying on top of it becomes incredibly difficult. That's you know why some people join our newsletter, our community. Mm-hmm. But I think that spending a little bit of time every single month to stay abreast of technology. And that could be doing a demo for a category that you think you're probably going to buy in the next year. It could be going to a conference, could be attending a webinar, whatever the case may be, it's going to pay dividends down the road. If you're a better software buyer, you're going to save a lot of time. You're going to have better results in the future. There's this whole like virtuous cycle thing that I sometimes talk about with HR. So if you think about like the best businesses in the world, they have virtuous cycles. Mm-hmm. So Amazon.com, we can all agree that's an amazing business. And why are they so great? It's because they have really low prices, which get them a ton of customers. And because they have a ton of customers, they do all this volume. They can go to the suppliers and they can say, hey, give us the lowest price. And that lowest price gets them more customers, which gets them more volume, which gets them more leverage. And on and on it goes. And HR can do the same exact thing in their organization where if you have a good outcome and you evangelize it appropriately, you're going to get more internal juice, which allows you to do other stuff. It allows you to get a better applicant tracking system or launch that diversity program, which gets you more outcomes, Mm -hmm. which when you evangelize gets you more juice, which gets you the ability to do more and more and more. And so I think tech is part of that. And so I always say, even though it you know might give you a little bit of brain damage, like invest five or 10% of your time into learning about the next thing that's coming down the pipeline because it'll pay dividends. Yeah, absolutely amazing advice, right? And I think what's interesting for us is obviously we speak day to day with organizations building talent acquisition teams and HR teams and, and other folks in that sort of people space. And I think it's becoming a real differentiator, right? Like the skill set that people are looking for when they're building out their people teams now is shifting. And people want all of the typical stuff, right? The employee relations thing, better engagement profiling, better employer brands, better insert X here. It doesn't really matter. I think for people trying to differentiate themselves and become like standout candidates in a very competitive market, having a good broad market ecosystem understanding and understanding when is the right time to layer tools in and having some context around that tool set and how to shape that stack is like a really marketable skill now and something I think people don't really fully appreciate. And so like that makes so much sense, right? And I think five, 10% of the time is a great like barometer for how much you should be investing in keeping up with these things. I think talking about stack, right? And, and like moving on to this notion of like a HR tech stack, is there a standard stack? 
I know we talked about like key differences with different organizations at different times, but like in your mind, are there milestones when you're this size, you should have these things when you're this size, you should have these things or, or kind of what does that look like? I think it matters so much on your organization. There are very large companies that don't have things that I would consider super basic that a 10 person employee company should have. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's a few different frameworks that I use to figure out like, what should we have in our organization? One is sort of mapping your employee journey from employer branding through alumni. And what are the key points that maybe you can make the biggest impact in, or maybe you're doing the worst job at? And it could be anything from you know, compensation to onboarding to employee engagement to employer branding. Mm -hmm. Another is just sort of talking to the other leaders within your organization, head of sales, head of product, CEO, board members, what are the things that we care about the most? Like what are the top two or three priorities in our company and where can technology, people technology specifically make a dent? And so it could be, hey, we've got a horrible retention problem with customer success. Okay, let's fix onboarding and let's make a better employee engagement plan there. The last thing is to just kind of follow your gut, your brain and I'm kind of harping on the subconscious thing like a lot, for whatever reason this during this interview, but <laughs> your brain is like taking in all this data all day long, right? And your gut is formulating these opinions that are actually usually pretty darn accurate. And so if you in like your deepest, darkest thoughts are like, we need to fix our career website, you should probably fix your career website. And you should think about it on a more analytical basis to like, you know, figure out if that actually is the case. Mm -hmm. But chances are your gut is telling you the right things to focus on. Sure, sure. I think like what's interesting as well, and you alluded to this in, in a previous point, but like we think that HR is shifting in the perceptions of a lot of organizations away from just being a cost center and actually becoming like a competitive advantage, right? And like we can talk about like macroeconomic plays and the knowledge economy and like the importance and value of talent and things like that, driving some of those conversations at the board level and beyond. But the reality is that like we see TAM, like the addressable market for each of these sectors growing massively. Like we still view the HR tech landscape in its entirety as super infantile and we think there's huge growth opportunity moving forward. And I think a lot of the effort and a lot of the energy in the, you know, the ATS space or the HRIS space, I think is focused on super mature enterprises or super sophisticated startups doing super excited things that are incredibly operationally efficient and forward thinking. But I think in our own world, we see a lot of organizations that need a lot of assistance going from zero to one, right? And really thinking about what's the first foray into making people better. And as you say, having a framework around identifying those low hanging fruit opportunities is massive because to your point earlier, the sooner you can demonstrate a return on investment there and the sooner you can demonstrate like the visible impact that's having the more juice as you said you're unlocking to go deploy the next tool and the next one and the next one again and shift that perspective from cost center to like business advantage right yeah i completely agree to a couple of your points like you can see the number of unicorns in hr tech has increased dramatically over the last like two years mm -hmm. uh, i think mental health alone has like three unicorns with Ginger, yep. Modern, and I think Lyra. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting, VC dollars. You're also seeing HR teams that are bringing in diversity of perspectives. They're taking somebody from marketing and making them the head of top of funnel talent acquisition. CFOs are becoming chief people officers. I talked to a, a friend of mine who's doing his MBA at Harvard, and he said that three of his section mates wanna go into HR. 
And when I was there six years ago, nobody in my entire class yeah. w- wanted to go into HR. One person did by accident and you know they've done quite well. But I think it's definitely changing. It's super interesting. And I think that I always like to think, play this game in my head of like, what are the things 10 years from now we'll look back on and say, wow, that was so stupid. And one of them I think is like social media is like our cigarettes, like our generation's cigarettes. We're going to be like, yeah. how did we not know that was like destroying our health and like, you know, our relationships, all these things. And I think another one is going to be people operations was so dramatically underfunded. Yeah. Even though it was like the most important part of like every single business, it made no yeah. sense. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And that's one of the many reasons that I'm in this space at all, to be honest. It's just because it seems like such a stupid set of circumstances and it's completely unjustifiable. Like people just haven't invested in making organizational design a priority and people a priority. And like it used to frustrate me in previous businesses when I'd speak to other CEOs and other founders or leaders of whatever. And every single one of them would say like, people is the number one priority in my business and people is the biggest risk in our business. And you'd look at their like investment criteria and it wasn't even on the sheet, right? Like it was nowhere in comparison. And I think like talking is cheap and i think to your point yeah like i love the sort of cigarette social media analogy right like recent discussions around facebook and instagram for kids and things like that's created a lot of dialogue in that space and i couldn't agree with you more frankly one of the things that, that's interesting to me right is like you talked before about some hr teams like they're very multifaceted right like even some very large organizations still have very generalist people teams that aren't specialists in specific arenas or areas and it means that it's difficult for them sometimes to allocate resource appropriately or to do the market research that it takes i think one of the things that was super interesting for us from our own perspective right at the beginning of covid in sort of early q2 last year was we started getting like a huge surge of interest from, I would say, like non-early adopter businesses looking at an ACS for the first time. And one of the things they were saying to us, because I literally was like flummoxed by this, right? Like, why is this the time to look for an ATS? That the message we were getting was, we've just been so busy and so overwhelmed by workplace relations and incident management and payroll for the past 10, 10, 50, 100 years that we've never had the time to sort of get our head above the parapet and actually evaluate operational efficiency. And COVID for some, I think, was the changing force there. And that was super interesting to us. But kind of taking that one step further, obviously, we knew about remote work being a thing. And that was already a sort of trend pre COVID. But COVID has just like changed the game completely and accelerated the horizon for many organizations there, right? Like, how has that broad spectrum shift like impacted HR technology and like buying decisions? So the trends that I noticed in 2020 were Q2, basically, there was like a fire drill at the beginning where it was like, oh my gosh, we still need to interview people. Let's do video interviews. Let's do virtual career fairs, et cetera. Yep. Then it was nothing, right? It was like, we don't know where the world's going to be. Is it going to end or you know, whatever, all the stimulus. And then in Q3, people started realizing, hey, our employees are at home. They're really upset. Their kids are bothering them. They're depressed. They haven't seen their friends in a while, et cetera. Let's do all of these engagement stuff. Let's do more rewards and recognition. Let's do mental health. Mm-hmm. And then in Q4, the really interesting trend for us was seeing more interest in artificial intelligence applications for different people things. And I think part of that is that technology has gone from you know hype cycle through the trough of despair into like actual impacts in organizations. And so we've now seen enough companies get value out of it 
where everybody's trying to utilize it. And also people, to your point, they kind of had a little bit more headspace to think strategically. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes what it takes. Like it's very easy to go back on LinkedIn Recruiter and like bang out a bunch of in-mails to Java engineers in San Francisco to try to hire and fill that rec. It's harder to do a bunch of demos of AI sourcing technologies or better sort of general top of funnel talent acquisition apparatus and figure out strategically how do we hire the next 50 engineers at a 15% lower cost and 20% lower time to fill Mm -hmm. and better candidate experience and better recruiter experience. And so COVID's been interesting. It's been a catalyst for a lot of things, some good, some bad. And I think you're totally right that folks are now taking a more long-term perspective, which is amazing. Sure. I think I want to move on to buying process and talk about how organizations should be thinking about kind of finding and implementing and buying these sorts of products. But before we do that, just one final question on the sort of stack piece, right? And that's, is it platform or is it product, right? Like are people right to buy all-in-one solutions or should they be looking at combining point solutions and sort of trying to look for best of best-in-class solutions playing nicely? How do you think about that? I think it depends a lot on the resources and mostly the time of your organization. So to appropriately select and implement something and get value out of it and then hopefully evangelize the value that you got and be like, hey, look at us. We did new onboarding and like, aren't we amazing? Here are the results. Mm -hmm. It it takes a lot of time and energy. And so for smaller organizations, I think it makes sense to have a broader suite in one tool that kind of does a lot of stuff for you. And as you move forward in the cycle, you get more specialists on your people team, you get more resources, you can start to identify, here's the problem that we really have, it's scheduling, right? Like we do all this high volume hiring, we need a scheduling tool, it's assessments, it's whatever the case, and you can build out these point solutions. It's gonna be really interesting to see how this evolves because you're seeing something like a Workday on the enterprise and Bamboo at sort of the SMB Mm -hmm. that has a lot of stuff in it. They've got performance management, they've got whatever, but they're sort of check the box modules in many ways. And now they're getting connected through APIs, through things like Zapier or Trade.io. And so I don't know like how this is actually going to evolve. My guess is that most teams are going to have one or two kind of core systems, and then they'll have a couple of best in class things for the things that really matter to them, whether it's sourcing, onboarding, assessment, whatever the case may be. Sure. No, that I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I guess it's just trying to make sure that when people are going through this buying journey, they're thinking about what that long-term evolution will look like and making sure the vendor in question or the, the platform you're buying into plays nicely with externalities, right? Like I think the challenge we see in this space, you know, we can talk about HR tech being fairly like infant in terms of like market maturity. And sometimes that means there's a lot of fairly traditionally minded vendors that don't play nicely with other solutions. And I think we've seen a lot of people be burnt buying at the time a best in class solution, but 10 years later, they're sort of, there's too much vendor lock in for them to move away. And I guess just bearing that in mind as you're going through those selection decisions is is quite important these days, right? Yeah, and a lot of these core solutions as part of their business model is they take a fee every time you do an integration, right? And that can add up pretty fast. Yeah. So we take a lot of pride in our integration ecosystem and working with large volumes of vendors. And obviously we never charge anything because it's 2021. But we do work with a vendor or two that charge absolutely ridiculous integration fees, sometimes more expensive than the entire product. And the reality is that they're just disincentivizing a good customer experience. And I think like we are very, very wary of getting into bed with vendors like that and do everything we can to discourage 
prospects, clients, and anybody else in the market alike from participating there. I think the only way this stuff changes is people talk with their wallets, right? But that's a long-term transition. And so, yeah, just like public service announcement, be careful when looking at at vendors in that regard. I think like moving on then to the buying process, because I think this is where you just have so much experience, right? Like, are you seeing changes at the micro level? I think we talk a lot about this shift from sort of top-down buying, right? Like the CEO buying a tool because he likes the report or she likes the output to bottom-up sales, right? Like end users buying into brands and product visions and things like that. Like how are you seeing that play out, if at all? Yeah, so I think in other categories outside of people tech in the enterprise, so marketing tech, engineer, whatever, there's a lot of this product-led growth thing where a company, an enterprise SaaS company has a tool that an individual person can adopt. And I think the first company to really do this was Dropbox. And they kind of did it by accident where individuals were like, hey, I've got a Dropbox and they share a link and now their team all uses Dropbox and it sort of grows from there. And then eventually the CIO is like, oh, we've got a hundred Dropbox users. All right, let's buy an enterprise license. It's happened less and less with HR tech. And I think A lot of HR folks are not as tech savvy. They're not as, I want to get my hands dirty as say an engineer Mm -hmm. or a salesperson that says, hey, if I can sell another 200K this quarter, I'm going to get X bonus. And therefore, like I'm going to aggressively seek out ways of getting an edge over my competition, whether that's internal or external. I think you're seeing more and more free solutions. So there's free video interviewing software. There's free recognition software. A lot of companies now have a free tier or at least a free trial for people to kind of try before you buy. And I think we'll see that more and more, especially with the rise of people operations. You know, the teams that brand themselves as people operations, it's not just a branding. Like you do see a difference in the level of skills. We actually did a study that showed like people ops teams get paid more than HR teams, which was pretty interesting. And I think that that sort of ethos more and more is going to lead the vendors to being like, oh, product-led growth makes sense in this industry and having more of those tools that an individual or a small team could adopt. Yeah, no, I mean, your point on people ops is fascinating, right? And I think, again, you'd alluded to this earlier when you talked about the, the cohort of people you were at uh, when you were doing your MBA and, and otherwise. But like, I feel like HR as a space and people ops is just like a description of the space is becoming a more attractive space for like big key players to move sideways into right like you said earlier that like you're now seeing really talented marketers become like top of funnel employer brand people and things like that which is amazing i think hr people have wanted that for a long time marketing just haven't given them the time of day right but now all of a sudden i think that perspective shift isn't just happening at the top level it's happening everywhere and people are understanding that like talent is a competitive advantage and they're moving into the space which is incredibly exciting because it kind of makes the environment sort of right for change and i think yeah, like helping people make those decisions and product-led growth or PLG isn't here yet in the mainstream for our space, right? But if we just look at every other industry, as you've alluded to already, we can track that is happening. I think, yeah, like to me, Slack is the prime example of that sort of bottom-up sales methodology, right? And it'd be interesting to see where that's relevant. Obviously, you can't do that for payroll, right? Like there's certain sectors that are going to make more sense than others. And it's just interesting to talk to that. When we talk about vendor research, right? So like, I'm a hypothetical buyer, I'm in market for an HRIS, let's just say, like, how should people be thinking about vendor research, right? If you've identified that there isn't like a one size fits all approach, and 
everybody has a different set of requirements. Like, what's your advice for helping organizations actually get to the grips or get to grips with their requirements and use those through that research process? I think it's really, really challenging. Mm -hmm. And this is why we talk about so many sort of generalizable skills on our blog when it comes to vetting and selecting and buying software, because it's so different from one company to the next. You can rely on a site like ours to give you a short list and to give you some questions. But at the end of the day, you have to really understand for your organization, what are the things that we care about? What are the integrations that really matter? What are the one or two modules that we need to work really well in order to find and buy the right solution? You can't just ask your network, unfortunately, because as we sort of alluded to earlier, a lot of HR teams are not very savvy when it comes to this stuff. And I've seen on Slack groups or Facebook groups, somebody say, hey, what HRIS should I buy? And somebody says, I love Bamboo, I love Clear Company, I love Bob, whatever. And a lot of times I'll like message those people and be like, what do you love about that? Because I'm always trying to learn. Yeah. And a lot of times people will say, oh, I just saw, I saw a webinar they did, it, it was really great. Yeah. Oh, you don't actually use this solution? No, 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 but yeah. maybe in the future we'll use it. Oh, okay, great. So you're <laughs> in a public <laughs> forum, you're endorsing. Endorsing another product, yeah. I mean, it's the yeah. same, we see people all the time, right? Same question, what ATS should we use or what HRIS should we use? We're a small startup in Europe with 20 people just starting out and 10 yeah. people go, Workday, Workday's brilliant. It's a great solution, right? right? Yeah. It's like you, you need the broader context to be able to actually offer advice. And people are well-intended, but yeah. it's really difficult, right? Yeah, and sometimes, you know, I talked to a guy, really, really smart CEO of a probably 100-person company who was talking about his applicant tracking system and how he hated it. And I was like, oh, what do you hate about it? And it was because this one, like, email template you weren't able to add rich media to when you sent it to people who are doing, like, a phone screen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, like, what about beyond that? Oh, beyond that, it's great. Oh, okay, so you're this, like, huge negative detractor yeah. for this one thing that you care about that most teams probably don't even care about, right? It's like, mm -hmm. so if you didn't dig, 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 I say buy software like a toddler, like a toddler's always asking you why, how, why, why, right? And you don't mm -hmm. want to be annoying about it. You don't want to be a jerk about it. But you kind of want to get to, like, the thing beyond like the story beyond the story so that you know whether or not this is a signal and this should inform your decision on whether or not to buy this solution. Sure, I think, and yeah, like everything there really rings true. I think it's just what we see a lot as a vendor playing in the space is sometimes prospects that are super uneducated or prospects that are applying a one-size-fits-all template to their process. So like we see people, for example, download a generic RFP template and then send that to us. Yeah. But that RFP template actually doesn't represent what their requirements are at all. And then they're making decisions without really thinking about the ramifications of the questions that they're asking. And I think it's difficult and I empathize because as we've already discussed, these people don't have time, right? Like it's a busy role and there's a lot of pressure and you're not being given the same generous time allocation and budget that other sectors that your business may operate in are getting. But what we also get frustrated with sometimes is organizations will tell us that we're a great fit for them, even though we're not. And we'll have to tell them we're not because they haven't done the research into what we offer and they've not really understood their requirements. And equally, organizations that we're a great fit for that an RFP is not sort of representing that and there's this fundamental mismatch right and I think it all comes down sometimes to just a lack of understanding about what the actual requirements are when you're buying something 
And I guess just helping people understand how to determine, like, this is what we're actually looking for. This is what we've learned from the experience we have. These are table stakes features. This is optional. It's difficult, right? It is. And I think to your point, you know, the RFP process, a lot of people download these templates that we have a blog post on our website that's like 300 questions to ask on an ATS demo. And it's really designed. Those are the 300 questions if you're buying like a $3 million workday implementation. But you can pick and choose, right? And I'm sure people download that unfortunately, sorry, and they send it to you and and you're like, what the heck? But I think also one of the problems with RFPs is that people assign an equal weight to each of those questions. And one solution, you know, might check the box on a lot of stuff. And maybe they're a C plus, but they're a yes on all these different metrics. And they're really not the right solution for you. Or they've got the stuff, but you only really care about these two things, right? Like you need to have this integration and you need to have this workflow like this is really all that matters for you and those should be like 80 percent but you've weighted them five percent and so when you put them in your spreadsheet or whatever you're using it says that this other solution is better and you just sort of go with this formulaic approach where this is much more of an art than a science and you know another sort of like art thing that we think about a lot is the quality of your sales experience. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got a vendor that'll tell you you're this is not the right solution and you should go to XYZ, that's a strong sales experience. It's not going to end up in you buying the solution. But those sorts of signals, reps showing up on time, reps really giving you a customized demo that fits the stuff that you care about, that means that that's sort of very indicative of the solution itself because that salesperson who's organized, who's thoughtful, they can get a job anywhere they want. Mm -hmm. And all a salesperson has to do is show their W-2 in the US, I don't know what it's called in the rest of the world, but basically here's how much money I made at my last job and here is my plan and therefore you know I can sell. And so they're gonna go to the company where they can hit quota and where they can hit quota, there's two main factors, right? One is go-to-market sophistication and one is product. That's actually probably the more important one. And so if you've got a great sales rep, many times means that there's a great product underneath as well. And again, it's hard to quantify that in a spreadsheet or an RFP, but it's an important part of selection. No, and again, that's awesome advice, right? I think like to your point about your RFP template, no, don't worry about that. That's great. We love it, right? Because the thing is, People download those templates, they send them to us, and we have pre-written answers for every one of those questions. It doesn't take any of our time, it doesn't take any of the prospect's time, but it's also a complete waste of time because no one's benefited from that engagement. And I guess that's where the frustration lies, right? Is to your point, like it's all about the weightings and it's all about taking the great content you've produced, but tailoring it to your actual requirements. And I think that's the gap that's sometimes missing. And that's the gap that means you end up with something that's not fit for purpose. And that's all we're trying to avoid, right? And I think to your point around the sales process, I think that's a, a super topical point and really relevant for the audience is understanding that, yeah, like great salespeople have portability and they have choice. And if they're sat with a vendor selling a solution, they clearly believe in that solution because money talks and they could go somewhere else. I think what's interesting for us, though, is at the lower end of the market, sometimes you find the less effective sales organizations, right? And like, it's not necessarily a representation of the product, but a lot of people come and talk to us and they say, I had a really negative experience with this vendor or with that vendor or in this sector. And the reality is they were just disqualified really quickly because their contract value wasn't super attractive to that vendor. But actually, sometimes we have that conversation and go like, no, that vendor is right for what you need. Go back, persevere through that sales experience 
because they are going to offer you the best solution. You've just been lumbered with the intern, right? And like, it's difficult sometimes for, I think, vendor, for buyers, sorry, to understand like, is this a negative sales experience or is the product not fit? Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. I get your, your point about correlating the two and I think it, it's super valid. But I also think that sometimes larger organizations especially have to do a pretty stringent job of qualifying their leads. And sometimes if you're at the lower end of the value spectrum, you end up getting a not so great experience, even if the product at the end of the day would have been the right solution. And so just trying to bear that in mind, I guess, is important, right? Yeah, we we do a lot of education for our readers on sort of how sales works. Because if you understand, when you sign up for a demo, the vendor wants to understand, are you a good fit? So we don't waste our salesperson's time. If you understand that, first of all, you can circumvent that conversation by sending them, I've got the budget, authority, need, timeline, I've got band, right? Yeah. And you can circumvent that conversation. The other thing to think about is, is salespeople's incentives. And for most SaaS companies, you care about recurring revenues because that's how you're valued. That's what the board cares about. And therefore, your reps are incentivized to increase recurring revenues. And there might be a one-time setup fee for something that you can easily negotiate on because they don't really care about that. Like, mm -hmm. If you deeply understand that stuff, you can also persevere through a poor sales process and because you have a deeper understanding of who that person is. But you're right. There's a lot of vendors out there that don't realize they're hurting their brand. There's one in Boston called Smashfly, and I don't usually single out companies, but they've been bought a couple years ago. So I think it's safe, but they were really only for huge enterprise companies. And I can't tell you how many conversations I had with HR practitioners who said, I don't like them. Yeah. They wouldn't even talk to me. And it's because their average deal size was 200K. And so mm -hmm. if you're at a smaller company, they're not going to talk to you. And they just did a bad job of explaining why. And so they had all these negative people out there. But yeah, anyways. But no, but that's the thing, right? And I think what you're fundamentally saying is just it's important to sort of reverse engineer the sales process and understand your role in it and get the best experience out of that as a result, right? And I think that's super interesting to me. And just expanding on that a little bit, I think like, what are these signals, right? So I think like a conventional buyer is not necessarily trying to think what's the person on the other side of the table looking at what are their incentives? What does this work? I think you had done a great video recently on like vendor financial health and you were trying to essentially help people correlate like hey go work out the position this business is in and use that in your buying decision because very few people certainly in our sector are buying a hr tech solution for a month right like these are long-term strategic investments that people are making that have a massive impact on people both attraction and retention like the whole life cycle as you said right from branding to alumni like these are big decisions, even if they're small financial numbers, this is not a, a thing to muck around with. And so you sort of, I would love you to expand on that a little bit, like talking about how you're helping organizations think about like vendor financial health when they're making these buying decisions. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a finance nerd in general. And so I do a lot of these videos just because I'm like, oh, this is cool. Let's like figure out the economics behind like an acquisition or, or mm -hmm. venture financing. But I think it's really important to understand the health of the business that you are partnering with because people vote with their wallets. If somebody, if a vendor is doing really, really well, it's because they've got a great product. And if they got good retention, it's because they've got a great product. And if you can understand that the 10 person vendor that you're talking to is actually on the way to the moon, you can get comfortable with that. And many times these smaller organizations have the best products. It's not partnering with the Workdays and their counterparts in the SMB world all the time. It's these smaller vendors are growing really fast and they have higher customer retention because 
they have a product that's 10 times better and they're able to overcome the adversity of dealing with work days, ability to spend money at conferences and hire tons of SDRs and all this other stuff. And so as a buyer, if you can, you know, use your LinkedIn premium account to look at employee headcount growth for a company or ask them what their retention is, their net retention, their logo retention. And by the way, asking these sorts of questions, all of a sudden you're like in control. You are a sophisticated buyer that the sales rep doesn't think, and I've sold software, you've sold software, we've talked mm-hmm. a lot to salespeople. Like, let's just be honest, like if you walk into a car dealership and you look like a mark, you're gonna pay a higher price. For then sure. if somebody comes in and says, hey, I went to the Toyota dealership down the street this morning, here's the model that I want, here's all the bells and whistles, blah, 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 here's the price I wanna pay. That person is gonna get a better deal, they're gonna get treated with more respect than somebody who is unsophisticated. And so asking these sorts of questions kind of levels up your game from that perspective, also lets you partner with earlier stage companies that many times have the best products. Sure, no, awesome. I think, yeah, one of them, I guess, from my perspective is think about like the long-term prioritization of the vendor, right? So like we spoke to an organization recently that was evaluating a, a fairly large HR tech purchase and that organization had received strategic investment from essentially a large-scale HR vendor that, was not aligned with the vision of this organization, if that makes sense. Like this organization was never going to partner with this solution. And the reality is that that strategic investment reading into it, like it means one of two things, right? Like that company is going to swallow the other company or that company's like going to take that product and make it a single vendor play. And so the reality is that they moved away from this solution, even though they felt it was the most appropriate solution for them in the short term, because they looked at like the long-term plan for that organization and saw it didn't fit their needs. Mm. And I think the more you can as you said, ask the question, right? Be a context-driven buyer. I think the better an experience you're going to have through the sales cycle, but also the the more you're de-risking the long-term strategy of like what you're buying and how you're deploying it within the business. And so, yeah, like that perspective is great. Thank you. Yeah, all these things are signals. I think another signal that I've been thinking about recently, because I just we just made a purchase for our business from a, a startup vendor. Mm-hmm. And one of the key reasons we did it was because they had such a, a really voracious output of new products. And I didn't ask for like their Git logs or like to understand exactly like how often they're pushing code. Yeah. Although I've definitely thought about like, is that a signal that we should be capturing from vendors and telling our readers because that's interesting. Yeah. It's a pretty good indicator about, sure. yeah. And you want a company that's always updating their product and launching new features like that. That's an amazing sign of health. And it's also a sign that they're not just getting milked for cash flow from private equity firm or from a founder who's really greedy or whatever the case may be. Like they're going to continue to innovate and be on the bleeding edge and invest in their business. Mm -hmm. No, completely agree. Like that's a really interesting signal actually. And I think like as a vendor, we look at our competitive landscape and look at what they're pushing out the door and use that to make sure that we feel like we're doing well in the marketplace right and i think the same way we evaluate our competitors i guess is not wildly dissimilar to the way that buyers should be evaluating people playing in our sector and so i think 
This has been super useful, right? I think like two quick more questions before we look at wrapping up, which is just, you've talked a lot as we've been going on and I think you've done a great job of really trying to articulate a different perspective for people in market for buying solutions, which frankly is kind of everybody. Like maybe not today, but like everybody's buying something in six, 12, 24 months, right? And so this advice is super relevant. I guess what you've done a great job of though is, is helping people understand the other side of the coin and think about things from the vendor's perspective and think about how to negotiate those kind of murky waters. Let's just end on like a point for vendors, right? Like how can vendors make it easier for people to better understand their products and services? What does that look like? That's a really great question. I think to hammer home, like why do you care about that from the vendor's perspective? It's like, think about when you're recruiting, you care about from the candidate's perspective to understand their incentives, to get them to join your company. It's a very similar sort of dance. From the vendor's perspective, I think that one of the things I see get screwed up over and over again is vendors want to be category creators and they want to make things so complicated and add on all these buzzwords. And at the end of the day, I think most people ops and HR teams are like, what can it do and how does it do that thing? Mm -hmm. That is the simplest way to get to a sale and get to value. The other big thing that I see screwed up over and over again, and this is unfortunately, it's only for probably five or 10% of the most sophisticated buyers of software is that a lot of vendors make claims that are just not true. Mm -hmm. And they don't have data to back up those claims. For example, I just talked to a job board and they said, our differentiator is that we get the highest quality candidates. Okay, what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, that's just a stupid statement, right? Exactly. And they're like, well, our data shows we have the highest quality candidates, right? And I'm sort of in like toddler mode. I'm like, okay, Okay. what data? Well, from applicant tracking systems. From what applicant tracking systems? Uh, From, and I won't name the company. Okay, and and like, what is the data? Like, what is the KPI here, et cetera? And basically like, after like six questions, it became clear that one time, maybe in a meeting a few years ago, somebody (laughs) said, hey, we looked in our ATS and you guys have the best quality data or best quality applicants. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's the first slide in this company's pitch deck, which, by the way, has like lots of amazing customers and mm-hmm. actually has a very high ROI. If you talk to their customers, you look at the data. But like for me, I'm immediately like, OK, if we want to buy this and I can do the diligence and like figure out if we do or not, I'm going to like hammer them and I'm going to decrease the price considerably. Mm-hmm. And I actually was helping out a friend with this and we got a thirty thousand dollar contract down to twenty two just because we're like. Your pitch this makes no sense. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And so many vendors do stuff like that. And so many vendors say like, we're a blah, 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 mobile AI, la, la, la. And it's like, you help vet candidates. Like you do assessments. Like that's what you do. You know? Like yeah. Yeah. just say that. So that's my advice. Cool. So don't overcomplicate things. Don't lie. And don't undo all the good work with nonsense data, basically. There you go. There you go. Yeah. No, good. Look, I'm a vendor. It's useful for me, right? But look, Phil, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. I think it's, it's been an education for me. It's been eye-opening and no doubt it's been super useful for anyone in market for some new HR tech. If you like what you're hearing from Phil and want some more impartial advice, good quality research and so on, check out Select Software Reviews at selectsoftwarereviews.com and go and join their new community, right? It's awesome. It's a great place to further the conversation and hear from people like Phil, but also others like you in market looking to buy great technology and sharing those stories, right? And I think building on that obviously for more great tales from the trenches and best practice people guidance stay tuned to the talent revolution we've got many more great guests just like phil coming every tuesday go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you in the next episode thanks for listening